Welcome to the Emerge Thriving Podcast, wellness designed for real life. In these conversations, we focus on topics that impact our everyday lives. Forgiveness, self-worth, resiliency, embracing self-care, the power of nutrition, and so much more. Life isn't always easy, but together we can take steps towards a thriving life. Joining us today is Jennifer Soames from Head of Hope. Thank you for being with us, Jennifer. We're so happy to have you. Before we dive right in, would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners? Sure, Amy. Thanks so much for having me. I am Jennifer Soames, traumatic brain injury survivor, retired holistic health professional, yoga instructor, and author of Head of Hope, a resource and empowerment guide for living and thriving with a traumatic brain injury. Thank you. We're so grateful to have you with us today. I'm really excited. I know we're going to talk more about your book towards the end of our conversation, but before we get started, would you mind sharing with us a little about your personal story? Of course. The first question that often follows when somebody finds out that I live with a traumatic brain injury, or TBI for short, is how did it happen? So here's the super condensed version. In November 2013, I fell off of a horse during a riding lesson when the horse spooked, incurring a concussion, which is a TBI. And yes, I was wearing my helmet at the time. The next day on the way home from the ER after getting a CT scan, I was passenger in a car accident that occurred just 25 hours later. Living with a traumatic brain injury for going on seven years, PTSD for almost eight after being passenger in a very bad car accident almost exactly a year prior, and having been a licensed body worker for 14 years working predominantly with clients in chronic pain, as well as simply being human, has taught me more than I ever wanted to know about resilience. Related to my brain injury, I was additionally diagnosed with clinical depression, pituitary damage, and dysautonomia. Managing the long list of symptoms and repercussions of each of these is definitely no walk in the park, and they forced me into medical retirement in January of this year. While life can be pretty depressing dealing with all of this at times, in addition to a pandemic, and the challenges facing our country and our world, Understanding resilience helps me get through the the toughest of days. And cultivating resilience is really essential to our survival, whether you're just having a bad day or if you're experiencing a life-altering trauma. And today, hopefully, we'll share with you some ways that you can use to increase your resilience for the rest of 2020 and beyond. Your experience is incredible. I've been reading your book, too, and I love it. Your story is inspirational. And it connects deeply with resiliency in a really realistic and relatable way, which actually segues perfectly into our conversation on resiliency. I know you spent a lot of time researching resiliency and practicing it in your own life. What does resilience look like from your perspective? Oh, excellent question. And just to clarify resilience and resiliency are the exact same thing and uh, they're they're both the same word and uh, so just so people know that we're talking about the exact same thing you know I really like the definition of resilience from the American Psychological Association first and that is the process of adapting well in the face of adversity trauma tragedy threats and even significant sources of stress such as family and relationship problems, serious health problems, or workplace and financial stresses. Now, that's a lot, one little sentence, but I think that that encompasses a lot. But to put it really simply, 
Resilience is being able to bend without breaking. And really, my favorite Japanese proverb that sums this up well, I think also, is fall down seven times, stand up eight. So three different ways to look at it, but ultimately saying the same thing. So resilience, just in general as a concept, it feels like it's really big and would be a lot to unpack. So just for the purposes of this conversation, how can we break it down into smaller pieces? Yeah, and it can seem so vast. It's like, where do we even start? But thankfully, there are some people who have researched this qualitatively and have even written about it. And so I pulled this from a book called Resilience, The Science of Mastering Life's Greatest Challenges by Stephen Southwick and Dennis Charney. And they break it down into 10 what they call factors, but what I choose to call ingredients. And these are optimism, facing fear, moral compass, ethics, and altruism are grouped together, religion and spirituality, social support, role models, physical fitness, brain fitness, cognitive and emotional flexibility, and meaning, purpose, and growth all grouped together. I love those. It just really makes me want to dive deep into so many of them and unpack them. I know we can't. So I would, I guess my question for you at this point would be, since we can't go in depth on all of the aspects of resilience in our conversation, of these ingredients, I love that way of framing it, of the ingredients of resilience, which three do you feel like are the most important? And then also why? Excellent question. And yeah, to clarify why I choose the term ingredients as opposed to the author's term factors is that ingredients allow us to look at these as just as if you're making chocolate chip cookies, like what do you need more of? Or maybe what do you need a little bit less of? And to be able to tailor them to meet your needs as opposed to looking at them as these like really strict, almost like rules. So tailor them to meet your needs and use them as you see fit. So that's why I like to say the word ingredients for these. And yeah, to look at all these in depth would take us literally like hours or possibly even days. The top three that I think are the most important, at least right now for myself, are optimism, facing fear, and meaning, purpose, and growth. So let's start with optimism. And typically, optimism can be seen as just having a really positive attitude, such as if somebody asked you if the glass is half empty or half full, of course, you would say it was full. Um, But yet, if you're my very linear thinking engineer husband, he would say that the glass is twice as big as it needs to be. But really, optimism is a future-oriented attitude with you have the confidence that things are going to turn out and that with enough hard work, good things will happen, even if you don't necessarily know how, when, or why. But it's just having that confidence that things will turn out well in the long run, even if it may not be in your lifetime for you to see it. But I want to make it really clear that Optimism isn't a blind thing. It's not just this, well, think positive and everything will turn out great because honestly, pardon my language, but it's bullshit. Some people believe that and great if you do, but for me, that doesn't work. Um, Because for me, that's a spiritual bypass and unrealistic. Having realistic optimism allows you to consciously choose to think positively and to be open to the silver lining in any challenge but while still acknowledging the situation at hand. So it's not dismissing what's going on for you or the situation that is going on in the world. It's just saying, 
I see it, it's real, and I have confidence that things are going to work out. But I also really want to acknowledge that when you're dealing with something like depression, anxiety, grief, or trauma, and actively going through trauma, thinking positively is definitely likely not going to be on the forefront of your mind. And sometimes that can actually be really impossible. And anybody who's dealt with these things, especially clinical depression, knows that you can't just think happy thoughts and everything is life through rose-colored glasses. So there are underlying things that can make this really difficult, if not impossible. But even if you don't believe that things will turn out okay for you right now, your invitation is to start to plant the seed that they could. Can you hold even the smallest space, even the size of a pinprick for possibility? Because we never know what can happen or why things happen the way that they do. But when we hold open the space for possibility, that allows us to be open then to the positive, even if it's not in the way or the time that we hope or expect. I love that so much. And I get chills hearing you say it because it's been so true for myself at different points of my life that in the moments when I was fearing something and saying, well, what if this happens? Really, one of the things that kept me going was as a way of just trying to cope, switching it and saying, well, what if this other thing happens? What if it's okay? What if I'm okay? What if this works out? And that was really one of the foundational hopes and wills to just kind of keep taking another step, just one more step. So in those really difficult times, that pinprick, you described that pinprick of hope can really be the difference. And I, and I admit that the days throughout the, these years that I've been living with this stuff in particular, you know, it can be really hard for me to be optimistic. And there are days where I certainly am not. And I think it's important to point that out that like, it's not something that you have to do 24 seven. It might serve you to practice optimism daily, um, starting with gratitude, but it's also okay to allow yourself to have days where you have a pity party or where you're just really not feeling it, but knowing that you're making that choice and that you have the choice to come out of it. So, you know, it's not a Pollyanna kind of uh, attitude 24 seven, but it really is a choice and it is a practice. And the more that we practice it, the easier, just like with anything that we practice, it gets. So yeah, you mentioned fear and that's where I want to go next is facing fear as one of our resilience ingredients. And, you know, to be really clear, danger is very real. There are dangers all around us. And depending on things that we navigate in life, we may not have control per se over those things. So danger is very real and we recognize that. And to have a, I would say a healthy respect for danger and a healthy respect for, I would say, uh, rational fear in terms of, you know, our immediate safety, right? We as, as human beings would not be here today if we didn't have some kind of healthy respect for fear. But fear also has this other side that can really be paralyzing. And to be fearful is optional, especially when it comes to certain situations. So it certainly can be situational. And, you know, facing fear is as some people will say, like getting back on the horse. And, you know, since some of this from for myself got brought about because I fell off the horse, you might be asking, well, did I get back on? And the answer is yes, because that's what us crazy horse people do. But, you know, there are some things that are a lot harder to do and it takes a lot of courage to do that. There are days where I would love to leave the house wrapped in a huge roll of bubble wrap, 
along with my car being engulfed in, in bubble wrap as well. But ultimately, you know, having a fear of, particularly for me being in the car after a couple of car accidents that I was passenger, I, I realized that being in the car really scared me. And I knew that I couldn't keep living that way. It's like I needed to drive around and to be passenger in a car to live the way that we do. So I had to do something about it, but I can't do it by myself. And, you know, facing fear is, some, is not something that you do by yourself or without consideration for the situation. Facing fear in a safe environment with a skilled counselor, a friend or colleague, a spiritual advisor, or someone can safely guide you through processing your fear while also challenging you when you need it. And honestly, I saw a great example of this the other week watching Discovery Channel's Shark Week for 2020. Now, I am a fan of Shark Week, although going in the water with sharks is definitely um, a fear that I don't plan on facing in the immediate future, but I won't uh, rule it out for the entirety of my life. But there was a great example of this in an episode with Will Smith when he was on Shark Week. Will Smith shared that he had been afraid of water and actually a lot of things growing up and still had a fear of being in the water up until age 40. And like he didn't know how to swim. So he's about 51. He's in his early 50s now. But just over 10 years ago, he finally learned how to swim and then actually got certified to uh, scuba dive. Well, then he decided to dive with sharks. And that was really a big fear of his. So not only being in the ocean, but then also diving with sharks at the same time. But he didn't do it just by himself. He didn't just decide, hey, I'm, I'm afraid of water and sharks. I'm just going to jump in by myself. First, decided to face his fear. Then he got support and he got educated. He learned the skills that he needed to be able to then face his fear. And he also talked with people who have experienced swimming with sharks and have survived shark attacks, but who still get back in the water. And he literally had a team surrounding him, facilitating him in the water on the shark dive. And, you know, he came out of it and of course, feeling really proud of himself. But I just thought it was just a really beautiful example of how to strategically face your fear when it's something that you can work with like that. And I also really want to acknowledge that something that you're afraid of may not be someone else's fear. We each have a different history and we bring that along with our individual fears. So whether you're afraid of ballpoint pens or you're afraid of swimming with sharks, it doesn't matter because to that person or to you, that's a very real fear. And, you know, maybe because I don't understand it or you don't understand my fear doesn't make it any less valid or irrational. But we also have to acknowledge that we can support somebody or ask for support to face our fears in a really healthy way, but to also respect each other's fears as well, because we don't always know people's backstory behind it and people don't know ours. So understanding that will also help us when we hear about other people's fears, whether we're talking about COVID, whether we're talking about racially induced violence, things like that. Like if we don't live through that lens, we may not understand it, but when we start to talk about it and hear people's stories, just as we're sharing here, then it's like, oh, well, that's why I might, me, have a fear of being in the car because I was in a really bad car accident with involving three cars on I-5 at highway speed. So, you know, whatever it is, approach it wisely, right? We don't just walk into any dangerous situation knowingly, perhaps without any kind of strategy behind it, but knowing that you, there are ways to work with your fear, to overcome it and 
to navigate it so that it doesn't paralyze you or essentially poison you and prevent you from being who you are and doing the things that you want and need to do. It's so beautiful and inspirational, especially to hear in the context of your story, in Will Smith's story. It's just such a human experience to feel fear and to feel it. You might, it just looks so valid. And then you face it or you ask questions or you get somebody else involved to get their perspective to talk it through. And then there's been many times where I've realized the fear, really, that's what it was. It was just fear. There wasn't any truth to it. There wasn't any legs to it. It's literally just my thoughts and emotions presenting themselves as fear. And it was taking the time to take a deeper look, to breathe through it, to talk through it that allowed me to take those next steps forward. And that built up confidence then slowly but surely in other situations to look fear in the face again, when that second time might appear more legitimate, you know, and then you kind of talk through it, walk through it, look at it again, ask more questions, not just sit in the emotional space, but kind of push past that a little bit to really make sure you're understanding the situation from what it is. Uh, So the invitation I would offer is, can we get curious about it, right? Can we, it's like, as if we were little kids and we were afraid of the monster in the closet that really was just in our mind, likely, Uh, because I I don't know about you, but I did not actually have any monsters in my closet. But, you know, so many of those things, it's like, if we get curious about it, like maybe we just get a little bit closer to that closet. Maybe we open the door just a little bit. Maybe we start to peer in a little bit and then we realize like, oh, well, that's just my heavy winter jacket making it look like there's a scary monster in there. But when we start to get curious about it, then we can look at it from maybe a different perspective that starts to tone down that fear. And then, yeah, when we, when we actually face it and get past it, then it's like, oh, you know, that was so easy. What was I afraid of? But in, at the moment, that fear was very real. And so it is very real in the moment, but we also can realize that maybe it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, or in Will Smith's case, forming a plan around your fear. I'm afraid of the shark. I realize there's danger here. How can I form a plan or a strategy around this? And then face that feeling, but do it in a, in a way that honors and respects the reality of the situation. I meant finding that reality and working through it. I love it. So uh, the, the third ingredient that I think is important, at least to me in this moment, and these, are, these, these three are grouped together, and that is meaning, purpose, and growth. Now, in times of hardship, you might ask yourself, what can possibly be good about this if you're thinking about meaning, purpose, and growth? Well, truly, in the moment, whether you're ill with the flu, COVID, dealing with unemployment, going through a divorce, living in a pandemic, or in the middle of a life-altering capital T trauma, Looking for meaning and purpose in it can seem impossible and, you know, definitely not what's going to be on the forefront as you are going through that experience. And that's perfectly okay. Just like optimism, it's not going to be the first thing on your mind. And you're likely going to be focusing on how soon you can either take your next dose of NyQuil or simply just surviving breath by breath. So it's really more of an afterthought, especially when you get to a certain point in your process, when you start to ask yourself questions around meaning and maybe why this is happening or why something didn't happen and what possibly could be the outcome that is positive with it. And you might ask yourself a couple of questions like, why me? Like, you know, why me in this kind of act of self-pity? 
It's like everything happens to me. So, you know, why? And certainly it can feel like that. And sometimes that is what happens. And you might go a different direction and ask, well, why not me? Kind of as as if you're like the chosen one, like, well, why not me? Because clearly I'm chosen for this and I can handle it and I can prove to everybody how great I am. More in the spirit of martyrdom. And I say it that way because so often, and, and I myself have asked myself this, well, why not me? But I think we can almost get our egos a little inflated with that potentially, not, not in every case, but I think it can be taken to that level. And if that last question has worked for you, great. I've certainly pondered it myself, but what if you simply asked why? And in some cases, it might be very, very clear. Like for me, the horse I was riding spooked and there's this thing called physics that did not work in my favor that day as well as in um, the car accident the following day. But in some cases, you might never, ever know why. And that could be on a very logistical, practical, worldly view or more in a kind of spiritual sense. And while it can be helpful to ask this question so as to avoid repeating this experience, it's also equally important to be okay with the not knowing. And it can take some time to be okay not knowing. But letting go of the why and accepting I don't know is a practice that I still continue to do and think that it's a really important one to have as well because we can ask why all day long. But unless we accept that the answer might be, I don't know, then we're just going to use a whole lot of energy that could be used for other things. It's so true. So this was really kind of um, bringing up a question for me. Of these three ingredients, would you say that this is, they're always the most important, that these kind of sit at the top as the most important uh, forefront ingredients for resiliency? Or do you feel like the most important ingredients for resiliency can change or adapt depending on our circumstance that we're in or the day or what we're going through, how we're feeling. What are your thoughts on that? I really think the latter in terms of being able to pick out what you need from kind of these 10 ingredients. And maybe there are some in there that are important to you that you throw in there as well that are specific to you. Because just like making that batch of chocolate chip cookies, you may want more of something or less of something, or maybe you throw in like these metaphorical nuts or omit something else. So I think it can depend on where you're at on any given day and in any given situation. And when I looked at these 10 ingredients, it was just like, well, how could I even possibly narrow it down to even three to talk about? Because I think they're all so, so important. And they all serve serve a very crucial purpose in cultivating resilience. But I really think it depends on what you need and what's going to serve you the best in the moment. So maybe eight out of 10 are the most important to you. Maybe all 10 or maybe just five. And again, maybe there are some that we didn't list here that have come to mind to you. And that's okay too, right? Make it your own. But these are some ideas of things for you to think about when thinking about this topic of resilience and how you can build up your own, especially when we're going through a really tough year. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on for people in our communities and our families and of course in our world. So there's a lot that we can draw upon, but if we don't have the words or the language to describe it, then it's going to be a lot harder to cultivate that resilience and to ask for what we need. From your perspective, what do you feel keeps us from being resilient? 
I would say first and foremost, just not having enough of any of those ingredients. And when you don't have enough of something, right, your product is not going to be as good. Like going back to that chocolate chip cookie analogy, you know, if you're trying to make chocolate chip cookies, but you're out of chocolate chips, those aren't going to be the best chocolate chip cookies you've ever made. Or, you know, if you're out of something, it's just not going to be the same. So I think ultimately when you get familiar with some of these ingredients and you really think about them in your own life and how they apply to you on a daily basis, when you are not feeling resilient, when you're having those rough days or when you're going through a really tough time or bumping up against a very difficult challenge, it's taking that inventory of your ingredients and going, all right, what do I need? Because when you don't have enough, you're just not going to be as resilient as you could be. And I would say that, you know, take them with a grain of salt. You know, one of the ingredients listed is physical fitness. And yes, that is really important. And all these different reasons that we could go into about that. But I also really want to acknowledge that there are some people who have physical limitations who maybe can't be in peak physical fitness shape. And that's okay too. Like I, some of the challenges I deal with, the dysonomia in particular, makes it really hard to be in my best physical form. And so when I read that, I almost felt kind of less than because I'm like, oh, well, I'm never going to be fully resilient if I am not what these authors who have done all this qualitative research on resilience say. But it was like, you know what, but they're not dealing with what I'm dealing with. Just like I haven't dealt with so many of the issues that the people they highlighted in their book have dealt with. So put it into context of your own story and go from there because we start to compare ourselves to other people and that definitely doesn't help us. So apply it to yourself as you see fit, but knowing that you're doing the best you can with what you've got to develop as much resilience will help you the most. But when you know what those variables, those ingredients are, you'll know when you don't have enough of something. And likewise, as I mentioned a little bit when talking about optimism, is that when you're dealing with either undiagnosed, unmanaged, or uh, maybe poorly managed challenges like clinical depression, anxiety, PTSD, or particularly other mental health challenges, that can also make things like optimism, which is, again, a really important ingredient for resilience, that much harder, as well as things like physical fitness and, and other things like that too. So identifying the challenges that you have, accepting them, and then working with them is going to help you to develop that as well. But if you know that you're dealing with depression, anxiety, PTSD, grief, you know, any of these other things that might limit you from really developing the, the most resilience that you can have, identify them first and then work with them so that they become less a barrier between you and your most resilient self. That reminds me how important self-compassion is and self-care. You're not really saying this is how I should be and then creating a large gap for yourself or where you want to go, but just acknowledging where you are addressing that in the moment or identifying that in the moment. Absolutely. And as a yoga instructor, you know, I tell my students all the time, like there is, there is, is no really should when you're doing a, a yoga practice, just as in life, because like, what you do on the mat is the same as what you're going to do off the mat. They're, they're the same. So don't should on yourself. I mean, there are some, some things you might include some shoulds about, especially regarding our like own, um, you know, safety, particularly when it comes to things like yoga class, right? Like, Ultimately, don't do things that are going to hurt yourself knowingly. But at the same time, you know, like do you. So yeah, acknowledge where you are in the moment 
and work with that without comparing yourself to someone else or to how you were before or where you think you quote should be. Because ultimately, none of those things matter other than just where you are right now, because that's all you have to work with. That's so beautiful. So I think the really kind of the only question left on the table is really, was there anything you would add to the conversation of resiliency and some of the challenges that we're facing here in 2020? Is there any additional thoughts or perspectives or context or tips, advice? things that you would share about the challenge, like for example, COVID is something that everybody's all facing together. And that comes with so many other things too. I mean, there's a long list of challenges. What are your thoughts on resiliency and some of those things we're all facing? An easy one to answer, honestly. But I think, especially when we're dealing with a lot of isolation, as you know, we've had stay-at-home orders, we might have stay-at-home orders again in the future, depending on how things go. You know, depending on people's demographic, uh, especially if they're in a really high risk demographic, they may be single, they may not really have contact with other people. That I think that the social support in particular is one of the most important resilience ingredients when dealing with this pandemic. Um, and obviously, like, there are a lot of different views on it, there's a lot of opinions. There's a lot of misinformation that makes it hard to be cohesive. But I think when we look at our social circles and try to gain as much social social support as we can, even if it's over the phone, text message, Zoom, whatever it is, or socially distanced, I think that that's going to be one of the biggest things that is going to help us get through this. Because it doesn't mean that you have to have a lot of people who are in your social network. Even if it's just like three key people who check in on you and you check in on them, I think that is probably one of the biggest things that's going to help get us through because this isolation is definitely taking a toll on people. And, you know, it's going to take a lot to, I think, unpack all of the the challenges that have come with that as well. It's going to take some time and probably it's a lot of counseling for people. I know it will for me. So I think for COVID that that's going to be one of the most important things, as well as some of the other things that we're dealing with, the social inequality and social justice challenges, particularly around race. You know, having that social support is going to be equally important uh, because we can't do these things alone. And what COVID has taught us is how much we need other people. And it doesn't matter what it's what for, right? Like, there, yeah, there's certain things we can do by ourselves, and we've figured out how to do those pretty well over the last near six months. But there's a lot that we really can't. So I think the the more that we stay connected with the people who are important to us and who uplift us and support us is going to help get us through the next months to years, depending on how all of this unfolds, but hopefully sooner than later. Well, speaking of staying connected and surrounding ourselves by people that are positive and uplifting. How can we stay in touch with you? You've got an amazing book that I love. Where can people go to find your book? And then how can they stay connected with you on social media? For more information on the book and to also order it, you can visit my website, which is headofhope.com. And uh, for those of you who like eBooks, uh, it is available on Amazon. Or if you're just an Amazon lover, then um, the print book is there too. But to buy directly from me, you can go to headofhope.com. 
I also do have a YouTube channel also for Head of Hope. There are my TBI diaries, as I call them, and a lot of episodes there just talking about um, traumatic brain injury in particular and what it's like, do's and don'ts, especially in regard to people you know with a traumatic brain injury and how to interact with them, as well as, of course, Facebook and Instagram. It's at Head of Hope TBI. You can find me both on there. And if you're in the Seattle area and you are a member of the TBI community, you are welcome to join my Facebook group, which is Seattle Area TBI Survivors. And so there are a lot of different ways to connect with me. And if you want to reach out to me personally, there's a contact form at Head of Hope as well that you can fill out and be glad to answer any questions or point you in the direction of uh, where to go if I don't know the answer. And I will gladly say that I don't know everything and I'm not afraid to say I don't know either, but would love to connect with people as they wish. And of course, we'd be happy to send you a book if you're so inclined. Whether you're dealing with a traumatic brain injury or know somebody who does, or if you're just looking for ways and resources to go through a life-altering experience and come out on the other side, not totally unscathed by any means, but but better in the long run and wiser, better, stronger, all of that. It's a story that I think has aspects that can relate to anybody. Jennifer, you are a blessing. I'm so grateful to know you. I so appreciate your time today. And we look forward to staying connected with you. And hopefully in the future, we can have you back on the podcast because you are an expert on so many other topics that are helpful for people. Thank you very, very much for being with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Amy. I look forward to more conversations in the future. Thank you. If you have a wellness topic that is important to you, let us know by visiting emergethriving.com forward slash podcast.